Welcome to the Topeka First Assembly podcast. We hope this message serves as an encouragement to you. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so online at www.topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Well, we're glad you guys made it out in the snowy weather that we have here. Uh, yeah, what a perfect time of the year, right? I, I hear this week it may even hit like 61 or something like that, something... Hey, that's okay. You know, for me, now I know everybody's not the same on that deal, but for me, if, if uh, Christmas Day was 60, I don't think it's supposed to be, but if it was, I'd be happy. Uh, and so I'd be okay with that for sure. Uh, for some of you, yeah, I know you're shaking your head. No, that's okay. Maybe, maybe you can pray for snow around your house, and, may, and maybe my house will have, have, have a sun and 60 to 5 degrees. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, so you know what? It's, uh, it is a, uh, uh, a joyful time for us as followers of Christ, knowing what He has done for us. And uh, we're going to get together here in the Scripture this morning. I'm going to read to you out, out of the book of Luke, chapter 2, here in just a moment. And uh, this is uh, this iconic passage. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about insignificance in Christmas. Insignificance. And the account of Christmas has everything that we need for a great story. We know that. It's got some uh, political intrigue. It's got some conflict. It's got some fear. It's got some faith. It's got anticipation and, and some amazement. All kinds of things that happen in the account of Christmas and that first Christmas and what took place. And, uh, and really what captures me, though, out of this is really the insignificant things. There are some insignificant things, and some may say, well, wait a second, what do you mean that there's insignificant things when you look at Christmas? Well, you're going to have to follow me this morning on this, and how could the birth of the virgin-born Son of God seem insignificant or unimportant? Well, we're not saying that that is insignificant, but we, we, we know that for God to become human is no small thing. It's not a small deal. God can do anything. We understand that. He created the heavens and the earth by the word of His mouth. He did that. He put things into order in that fashion. But we know that nothing's too hard for Him. But, but watch how the only Gentile or outsider was to write uh, the account of Jesus and how he shows in the Christmas story how God fulfills or have, how he fills things uh, that seem to be insignificant with his presence. He steps in in those insignificant, those ordinary things that we may look at every day and say, well, what, what is so special about that? But God turns around and he shows his presence in it. Let's, why don't you look with me this morning out of Luke chapter 2. There'll be a few of those verses on, on the screen for you. And it says this in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a, that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quinarius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So that's what they're doing. They're going in to do this for the census. And look at what he says there in verse 4. He says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. That's, those are important things. And I'll, I'll read some more through, you, uh, through this for you, but it's not on the screen. It says, He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. 
While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and uh, cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. They were just stuck. And then he goes on and says in verse 8, and he says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were flat scared. Now it says they were terrified. They were scared. Could you imagine what that was like at that point? But see what he says here in verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah or the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You, you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. What kind of sign is that? That's the sign. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds sent to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. And then look here in this next verse, in verse 16, he says, So they, uh, they uh, hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. The sign, right? It was the sign. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about, about this child. And all who had heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She knew God was doing something. She heard from the angel before, and Joseph had heard as well. And now in this situation, she, seeing what God has done, she put these things in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were, uh, were just as they had been told. We're going to look at a few insignificant things at this, on this special day. And that first insignificant thing is locations. Insignificant locations. Well, what does this have to do anything? Well, if you think about it, back in this time, uh, the happening places were not in Nazareth. That was not the happening place. And it wasn't in Bethlehem. The happening places of the world really at that point were, was Rome and it was Syria. And people were, uh, who ruled over others lived in those places, and that mattered to them because that's where their governments were. And nobody really cared much about Palestine. It was tucked away in a small pocket of a Roman lake, but God cared. That Roman lake is what we call the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, but, but God did care, and to most of the world back in this place and time where Israel lived was it was just a crossroads in Palestine of all of the all of the different roads that passed through that area. And Rome liked that because they liked to tax people. And they liked to pull in revenue from those places. And that's what they did. If you look at it and you consider King David, he's dead and gone. 
Solomon, he's dead and gone. The, other, the others have, have been out of there. And in fact, uh, we realize that they, they, uh, the, the people of Israel, God's people, had served false gods for such a time that, that the Lord actually exiled them out through Assyria. Not just once, but at least twice. And then also, not Assyria, but also Babylon and taking them out of their land. And now the Messiah is coming. These guys had been controlled by Rome, and Israel was insignificant in Rome's view. Now, in their view, but just because the, the secular world or the world around considers them uh, insignificant doesn't mean that is true when it comes to God. And, and this story uh, sets its focus on a small and unimportant places. And why didn't God the Father arrange the birth of Jesus to be right at Jerusalem? maybe right there near the temple. Why didn't he arrange it to happen there? You know, in that special place known and for a very important place for the people of God. He just didn't do it. That temple in Jerusalem, they seem like significant. But in fact, if people would have known in Jerusalem so quickly that the Son of God had, been, had arrived, and if that king of all kings had arrived, they would have spread the news faster than they could ever have done it today. And there were a few possible problems with that. King Herod would have found Jesus without difficulty. Even though he tried, he tried to find him and still couldn't get him. And God chose foolish things to leave those who think they are smart speechless. Isn't that the way God does that too? He uses some of those simple and and those those simple things to be able to leave us that way. But God doesn't work like we do. And Jesus humbled himself as the Son of God to become a baby born on the earth. For God's own reason, he focused on small places. And maybe even for yourself, maybe you feel like, well, who am I? What? I'm just a small person, a small individual. Well, God cares about every individual. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what their pedigree is. And God focused on Bethlehem, which was really not all that important in its size and influence. He focused on a small town of Nazareth. And even Nathaniel, over in John chapter 1, verse 46, he said something like this. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It says it different in different translations, but, but can anything good come out of this place? It's like, you're from, if, if, if you were from Nazareth, they would ask, where are you from? What what's the big deal? You're you're from where? And, and so, but but there was something special about that place. Why? It was even Nazareth was even considered a byword. I'm sure that they probably would have said, "Are you kidding? You're from there." But God focused on other things like a manger, even an everyday cow trough where they're going to eat some hay or some some grain, something like that out out of, and laid. The child, Jesus, the baby, Jesus, in that thing. God focused on other things like that. A manger was useful. It was just ordinary, wasn't it? It's just a useful tool. That's all it was. You throw the feed in there for the animals, and the animals eat out of that thing. Uh, if that's exactly what it is, and we're understanding in translation, it, uh, but just a place, just a place to eat from. And yet it was a sign from God. And I think that's pretty cool that God used something so simple and so ordinary 
to, to show the arrival of the birth of the Son of God. And the Lord also focused on the fields where the shepherds guarded their flocks of animals. And uh, sure, those fields were peaceful places. Uh, I, I enjoy fields. I enjoy being out in the pasture and those kind of things. And just out in, out in the middle of nowhere, you know, it's, it's a joyful, peaceful place. Uh, but the, and that's what they were. They were out there in just that ordinary place. But life and death happened in those fields. Lambs were born but also wolves would uh, run around trying to find something to eat for their lunch. Uh, just, uh, just the nature of, the, of that kind of place. And the first Christmas took place really on the farm in some sense. And uh, we, we find it that way, and it's also seemed like an unimportant thing. And uh, we, we realize that there's more to it than that. It's not just, it's not just a simple birth. It's a special birth. It's an unusual birth of not just any individual, but it's of the Son of God Himself. And when God comes near, all these small places become big. Before Jesus arrived, Bethlehem and Nazareth weren't really all that important. And it's interesting how all it takes is for God to move in some insignificant uh, uh, town and then make that town something that is known worldwide. Because isn't that what ha has happened to those towns? They've become known worldwide. Now, for us, it's nothing. It's commonplace for us because we're you're used to hearing the story. But for the people at that time, knowing that it was going to go, those two towns' names were going to go around the world was probably would have been amazing to them. Many years ago, there was a man who got very seasick. He was out on a boat, and uh, he... Uh, you know how it is, if you've ever been out on a boat and you, you get seasick, it's kind of hard to do anything. And uh, this guy, was he was back, he, he, was, he was one of the employees on the boat, and he got into his bunk because he felt so sick. Uh, and so he's waiting there for this time to, to get better. And, and uh, so the next thing he knows, he hears a, a person went overboard. And uh, this one guy went overboard, they lost him, and they're trying to get him. And, and he's finally, as sick as he is, he finally decides you know what, uh, let me see if I can see what's happening, if, there, if there's anything I can do to help. So he took, takes his light up and he puts it up to the porthole of his room and, and uh, looks out and, and he really doesn't know what else to do. And so they finally get the guy, they save him, they pull him back in. And, and later on, after this gentleman feels better, he goes up to the deck and uh, he actually finds the guy that had near, nearly drowned and the, and the man tells him the story of what happened. He said... When I fell, fell over, uh, he said, they were trying to get me with the lifeboats, and uh, it was so dark they couldn't see me. And he said, I would went down at least a couple times, and on that second time, I didn't think I would be able to get back up. But he said, I put, I put my hand up again, just hoping that somebody would help me. And at that point, there was a light that shined, shone through one of the portholes, and it shined right on my hand, and they grabbed my hand, and they pulled me in the lifeboat and saved my life. Uh, it's just simply because that other man who was sick thought he would do something to be able to end up showing the light. And it saved that man's life, and that guy didn't even know it when it happened. It seems like a, such a trivial thing to hold up the light, yet it saved that guy. And Jesus' arrived, uh, arrival seems uh, like such an insignificant event to us, 
uh, the birth of another baby in a small town, and even more so, maybe in a barn or a cave. We don't know exactly. Uh, uh, but uh, yet Jesus' arrival has changed world history. But in reality, it's not just world history. He has changed the lives of many people where we can have hope and it changes our eternity and our destination where it's not just about here and now, yeah? It does affect our here and now, but it's also about that eternal part of our lives that we have, that we can live with Christ eternally. Jesus' arrival has changed so many things. There's another thing besides unimportant locations that we can look at. We can look at some unimportant people, too, in this situation. And the story of Christmas, the important people of the world at that time was Caesar Augustus and Quinarius. They were, they were noted there in verses 1 and 2 of Luke there. And Quinarius was the governor of Syria. It was a Gentile nation. And, of course, Caesar Augustus was a Roman emperor. You can't, you can't miss that one. You know that if you know your history. But they, they were movers and they were shakers in, in the political world. And uh, when they spoke, people listened to them. And they would, if they called for taxes, and hey, that's what was going to happen. They were going to tax. If they caused for somebody's life to be saved, hey, that was going to happen. Why? Because they, they were rulers and, and they demanded those others to follow them. And so they were important. They were important by most people's standards, but anyone who was anybody knew them. And they, knew, and they took note of their actions. They also took uh, note of their orders. But the account of Christmas points to a different set of key players. Some different players that, that were not the norm. They were special. It was like the young poor couple from Nazareth. It's Mary and Joseph. And it's evident from what the Bible says over in Matthew 2 that Mary and Joseph were probably poor enough that they only offered a simple uh, or a less expensive sacrifice when Jesus was presented at the, at the temple later on. And some would say, well, no, he wasn't. they weren't that poor. And now we know we got, they got gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but that's probably later down the road, all that kind of stuff. And the fact is, is if they offered that sacrifice of doves that they did, it showed that they didn't have a lot at that point. They also left as fugitives running to Egypt. They left as fugitives to try to protect, protect the life of Jesus. And the Christmas story also looks to players like the shepherds, who really the shepherds, they, uh, biblically, they had, they had some important roles. Uh, but socially, they were outcasts. They were, they were not seen as the best, and they had uh, the kind of jobs that may have landed them on that old TV show, you know, Dirty Jobs or something like that, because they're, they're out there working with the animals, and uh, they probably smelled a little bit like those animals, maybe smelled like sheep and goats and all that kind of stuff, and, and, and they were stuck in the middle of nowhere. Maybe they didn't get a good shower now and then. I'm not sure what it was like for them, but... Uh, but the, the shepherds, they, they, they had an interesting life. The gospel also looks at a guy and his bed and breakfast, so to speak, or maybe a gal, we don't know much about them, but th this person is so insignificant that technically that he or she is not even mentioned in the text. Not really. He had a commonplace job to do and, and made room for Mary and Joseph. They were insignificant. But when God comes near, all those simple people suddenly, they, they appear to matter because they do matter. 
And that's important for us that each and every one of us matter. Mary and Joseph were key players in the birth of Christ, of course. And Joseph, he even faded into the background in Scripture from what we see, uh, that he faded into the, the background. And, but we don't forget that he was a righteous man who heard from God and obeyed the Lord's command through the angel. He was a righteous person. And Joseph was a man of faith. Most forget about him because Mary actually plays a prominent role from what we see in the Gospels there. And uh, she, we see her all the way up to the cross. We see her there at least. And, but don't forget that Mary would have been left out as a total outcast herself if Joseph wouldn't have quickly said, you know what, I'm going to accept her because the Lord has said I should accept her. He did that. He did that, and then she was protected. He was willing to listen to God's direction. When Jesus was born, it was Joseph who gave him that name, Jesus. Let me tell you a short story here. Uh, there's a man named Charles Elliott. He had a, he had a problem. He, was, he, had been, uh, he had a contract to build a, a suspension bridge across the Niagara River, and, uh, which would be a difficult feat in itself. And he, he had no way of stretching uh, those cables across because of the falls and because of the movement of the water and trying to control a, a boat go, to go across. <clears throat> and so he decided what he was going to do is, is uh, challenge some people to a kite flying contest. And one of these guys that came to, to follow along, and he was going to challenge them to fly their kite across from one side of the Niagara to the other side. And he thought, well, you know, if, if we can get that one string across there, then we can pull a, just a little bit larger rope and then pull a little bit larger rope and then pull a little bit larger one and then finally start pulling cable and then start building and getting that thing set up. And so he gets this, this idea to, to have them start doing this kite flying. And this young man, Holman Walsh, responded, and he flies his kite. He gets it most of the way across there, and while he's doing that, then the then the cord or the the string gets knocked up or gets controlled into ice, and the ice it breaks it, and so they have to start over again. And so then they start over again, and and he gets it, and he gets across there. This guy, Holman Walsh, what, do, do you know his name? Maybe you do, I don't know, but, but it's not a common name for us. It's not, because he, he seems insignificant, but the job that he did was not insignificant. It had an impact. It had an impact and, and it had influence. And uh, uh, to many people, Joseph, who was insignificant, uh, was insignificant, but his faith was like Holman Walsh's kite string. Though, though he was obedient to the Lord and Jesus, then because of that, Jesus ushered uh, into the world a complete, he was ushered into the world in a complete family. It was a blended family, but it was a complete family because Joseph was willing to accept her. The third thing here is the insignificant event. So the event that would uh, make news was taxes, and that still does, right? We see that. You're going to see that plastered on the news or paper or on the Internet. 
uh, and those kind of things. And governments and rulers are always debating how they're going to raise or how they're going to cut taxes. And uh, it's either this or it's that. And if, if they would have had TV and Internet back in the day, I'm sure that they would have heard all kinds of things about that in Jesus' time. And uh, they probably would have had those people dressed up in their regalia uh, coming on as an analysts on the TV to say what they thought about this tax break or this tax increase or this or that. And, and I'm sure they would have done that but uh, in Jerusalem. But if they would have had the Jerusalem Post back then, the, t the, uh, the paper, I'm sure they would have uh, seen it on the front page of the paper, those kind of things. But the account of Christmas gives attention to the birth of a baby. And for us who believe this uh, is anything but normal. There was an issue of fulfilled prophecy that had to take place. The arrival of the Christ, the anointed one, was expected, and thus this expectation come from God and His Word to His people that there was a Savior that's coming down the path. He was coming down. The arrival of the Christ, the anointed one, was expected. And we even see, even in the beginning, after Adam and Eve had fell into sin, we see it as far back as then when we get that small glimpse over in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and where the Lord is speaking, and, and He is speaking and dealing with the serpent or Satan and uh, in, the, in the garden. And God said this in verse 15, He says, and I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and, and hers, meaning Jesus, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Jesus, the anointed one, came to crush the head of Satan. And Satan may have struck Jesus' heel at the cross, but Christ in the end will totally crush him. And there was then the issue of the star's appearance. So many things. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, this gospel tells us after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Where is this guy at? We, we saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. The, these men, they come from the east, probably Babylon or somewhere over that area, and these they were... Uh, they went to a significant city to find out where this king was. You know, wouldn't you expect that the king was going to be born in Jerusalem? Wouldn't you expect that? In a special place like that? And when they arrived, he wasn't there. Sure, they were a little confused. And that's not where he was located. And uh, evidently, this was no small thing to these men who likely came from Babylon, but the thing was, the star was a sign to them that the Jewish king had been born from what they understood. And these men asked around in Jerusalem where the anointed one was to be born. And the people told them that the prophet foretold that he would be born in Bethlehem, Judea, of Judea. And even then, it was just another birth. Or was it? It wasn't simply just another birth. There was an issue of the virgin conception and birth in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Uh, it says about the angel's visit to Mary, uh, Joseph and Mary, an important message which explained what was going to take place before it happened. And it says this, All, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet 
the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. You heard that scripture read this morning out of Isaiah, but this is a quote from Isaiah 7, 14, uh, out of the book of Matthew. And this prophetic word was understood in a way that we realize that the birth of Christ was special. It was not just an average, a typical birth of any old person. It was the birth of a special child, the birth of Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It was special, it was unique, and it was supernatural, it was not ordinary. Although it was ordinary in ways, it was still not ordinary. God started to save the world through the birth of this baby. And that's what Christmas is to us. The Savior coming to save us, to give us life and to give us hope. And yes, it looks towards the cross. We look towards the cross, but we realize his, it's His arrival and what He has done for us. Babies are born every day. Uh, the, Bethlehem, the Bethlehem paper probably would have uh, read the next morning, Mary and Joseph, a baby boy. It's probably what it would have said. Big deal, it happens every day. But here is the wisdom of God, which may seem foolish to us, uh, but it was significant to him. When God comes near, all small events take on very great power and great significance. There is no insignificance in the kingdom of God. God takes the ordinary and the everyday and He takes and adds His supernatural ability in that. And that's what He did in that time. He did that for you and for me so that we could have forgiveness of sins, so that we could be brought into the family of God. And the insignificant becomes significant in the sight of God. As we wrap this up this morning, we realize that the small things that we view as unimportant are not always trivial. They're not trivial. Christmas announces that all places, all people, and all events matter to God. And He has not forgotten you in this season. There's some of you out there that may feel like you're forgotten. And this time where we're not able to do the things that we would like to do in the same manner, just realize that He is here with us and He knows where our situ what our situation is and He loves you and He cares for you. He's not forgotten you. He hasn't left you alone. His Word tells us He'll never leave us nor will He forsake us. Hebrews says that He had to share in our humanity. Jesus Christ shared in our humanity so that we could relate to Him. If Jesus Christ had come as royalty, maybe it would have only been the wealthy who would have noticed Him. But because He came as a baby as He did, He gave us a wonderful opportunity to recognize Him for who He was, the humble servant who came to be the Savior of every person who was willing to receive him by faith. And we can receive him by faith today. And I'm so glad for that. Would you stand with me this morning as our worship team is going to come this morning and lead us in a final song this morning. No matter how significant you feel, you have to recognize 
that God loves you enough to be able to send His one and only Son so that we might have everlasting life. And that's available to us by faith. That's available to us as we put our faith and our trust in Him. And that is why we get to celebrate Christmas as we do. That is why Jesus really is the reason for this season that we are celebrating. It's not all the other things. It's not all the things around us. It's not about the trees and the lights and all that. We like those things because they're pretty and it kind of reminds us of the season. But we understand more than anything, it's about the Savior coming for you as an individual and for us as a people so that we might be redeemed and brought into God's house and His family. Let me pray for you this morning. And I challenge you that if you haven't put your faith in Christ, or maybe you did years ago and you haven't made that thing a solid commitment to you, that you would today say, Lord, come into my life, be my Savior, and I'm going to follow you every day from now on out. You can say that prayer in your heart this morning and look to Him. And then not only let this be your time for Christmas, but let this your time every day to worship Him and to thank Him for His goodness. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this special season. We thank You for this time of Christmas where we celebrate Christ. We celebrate what You have done for us, Jesus. We thank You that You prove Your faithful to, to, uh, faithfulness to us in every way. And Father, we thank You, Lord, that You are working in our lives to do something good in us. Father, because of that, we celebrate. And we offer ourselves to you this morning. And we ask you to do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Don't forget, Thursday night, we're still going to meet again for Christmas Eve service. I think it's Thursday night, right? The 24th, we know the, t the day. And so we're going to meet together and we encourage you to worship, worship with us. And if you're not able to be here uh, in person, you can always be here online. God bless you guys. Let's sing together.